I'm Eric Miller, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm your host, Steve McPherson, and with me, of course, is the peerless Callum Williams, making his second consecutive start on the Sound of the Loons podcast. And as we all know, availability is a major part of being a franchise cornerstone. So, Cal, what's your favorite podcast that's not this podcast? That is a very good question, Steve. Are you a podcast guy? I, I am a massive podcast okay, right. guy, yeah. Um, you know, because we, we've we've all got busy lives, haven't we? We haven't got time to listen to an actual radio show when it's on at a certain time or whatever, you know. And uh, podcasts, I, I think, are one of the greatest inventions ever. They're brilliant. Um, I would say there's a tremendous one that the BBC do. I'm not saying it's just because I used to work for them. Um, sure. <laughs> they, um, they, uh, it's it's called a Friday, uh, what was it, Friday night preview or something like that. And it, okay. it's essentially what, what it says in the tin. It's a Friday night preview of the games coming up over the weekend and yeah. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, they, they just, what I like about them, and this seems to be uh, happening a, lo- a lot more often now, uh, particularly in England as well, um, the uh, broadcasters, whether it's radio or television or whatever, they are using current managers and current players to talk about situations before that was a complete no-no because right. you, you might be worried if you're going to offend somebody or, or uh, you know throw a player under the bus or something you know um, but now it, it, it seems to be the almost the norm but it was started by BBC Radio 5 Live and some of the, the podcasts that they do they, they do the, the Football Daily a, week, um, a daily podcast as well which is really good but as I said, I think it's called the Friday Preview or something like that. It's really bad. I can't remember the, the name of my favourite podcast. But it's, uh, as I said, it is essentially what it says in the tin and a really good listen. I highly recommend anybody, just regardless if you're a Premier League fan or not, just just listen to it because there's some really insightful stuff there. Yeah, I appreciate anything that, uh, <clears throat> you know, in terms of podcast content. Obviously, I go to things because I like what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. But I find that a lot of times at once a podcast gets going – sometimes what they're actually talking about is besides the point. Like, mm. I enjoy listening to the conversation, if the personalities are great. I think it's one of the things that Men in Blazers is great for, that it, they're just so much fun to listen to. Right. Um, I love I love Raj, and I loved uh, American Fiasco, which I think I've mentioned before. You, you told me about that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, as a series about, you know, the sort of the U.S. soccer, uh, the journey from 94 when the World Cup was such a big deal and the, and the U.S. exceeded expectations and it seemed like they were about to take you know, their, their place on the world stage uh, to the sort of disappointment of 1998 and, and exactly what led to it. Um, I thought that was great because that was a that was a series, and, I, and this is one of the things I really value in, in a good podcast is, and this is one of the reasons you need something that's a couple, that's episodes long. So mm-hmm. obviously there's podcasts like this one where we're, we're just sort of conversing and chatting and, and they have their place. I enjoy a bunch of those as well. But the ones that are more like a story where it's a mini series, it's yes. six episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes, and it goes into something and gets you to the point where you really begin to see all sides of something. 
And so, with, like, with American Fiasco, on the one hand, you're like, yes, there, there are things they could have done differently, uh, the, you know, the U.S. men's national team, to be better prepared for 1998. But there's also some pitfalls along the way that they had no control over. Mm. There's things that are, are about the way that, that the U.S. is as a culture. Uh, and, and some of those players, in terms of their personalities, that... This was just what it was always going to be if these were the people involved in some way. So it, it sort of gives you multiple, multiple levels of looking at something to where you're sort of you, you end up in a sort of intellectually uncomfortable space mm-hmm. where you see all sides of an argument. And that's one of the things that I think is good. A lot of, you know, straight up writing like a, a short story on NPR, you know, like a, like a, yes, a, a yes. blip on something doesn't give you all that. You sort of have time to get one perspective. So I like that. I like um, Slow Burn, which I've been listening to recently, which is a a political podcast. It's okay. actually about um, the first season of it was about uh, Nixon and Watergate, uh, which was fascinating to me because I, you know, I know Watergate is a shorthand for presidential corruption and scandal. Mm. Um, but I did. There was so much I didn't know about Watergate and all of what went down in that era of American politics. Right. So that was really fun. Uh, the the new season is about Clinton and the scandal around uh, the scandals around Bill Clinton. Which is also very interesting. I, th- I thought I was going to have a, a difficult time listening to it as that was sort of Clinton was one of the big political figures of my youth. Sure. And feeling like he, after I had grown up under Reagan and Bush, feeling like, okay, here was a guy who was more in line with, with, with sort of my progressive values, although he's obviously a centrist Democrat in a lot of ways. And I thought I would have a hard time with seeing him sort of taken apart. But it's very interesting. The, the, the process of how everything happened is is kind of crazily involuted, like the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal and the, the fact that the only reason she was even in the White House is because she was an unpaid intern at a time when the government was shut down, largely because of Newt Gingrich, largely mm-hmm. because Newt Gingrich was mad at Clinton because they didn't Gosh. talk to him on the airplane once. Like, there's some crazy things you learn about that way. So, uh, Slow Burn, I highly recommend. Um, in the Dark is also a fantastic one, uh, which is an, another investigative podcast. The first one was about Jacob Wetterling, who anybody in Minnesota knows about. Jacob Wetterling's appearance, disappearance. Uh, the second one, the second season that just started is about um, Curtis Flowers, who is convicted of uh, a, a set of murders uh, in, in the South. He was convicted, I believe, six times. Uh, wow. And then it kept getting overturned. He keeps getting reconvicted. So uh, it's a very complicated story. It's a little more complicated than Jacob Wetterling's. Uh, like sort of, the, it's not as graspable immediately. But highly recommend in the dark. Anything else you could recommend? Oh yeah, sorry, I wasn't being rude there. Looking at my phone, I was just getting up my my podcast. Yeah, just to to make sure that I didn't miss anything out. And obviously, as I said, it, there's a sprinkling of football dailies, as I mentioned earlier on in the Friday night preview. There's also one which I didn't realize it was coming back, and it was tremendously entertaining. It's called Flintoff Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. Okay. And this is basically... <laughs> All right. <laughs> give it a chance. Let's this this is so... Uh, this is uh, three former athletes. Um, it's uh, a chap called Matt Said, um, another chap called Freddie Flintoff, and another lad called Robbie Savage. Robbie Savage is an ex-footballer. Uh, Freddie Flintoff is an ex-cricket player. And uh, Matt Said is an ex-ping-pong champion who, who represented England at the Olympics and whatnot. And what, what it is, uh, the reason I bring it up is because after listening to the first season of it, what what becomes apparent is that, again, as, as we all know working in this circle, athletes are just normal people. Sure. They, they have a life. They have other worries, other concerns apart from their career. Um, and I would encourage people to watch it, uh, to listen to it rather, just because 
that there is a tremendous sense of normality about it. Mm -hmm. But these are guys who have played at the very, very top level of their sport. And it's it, it's almost like three lads sitting in a bar and, and sort of, you know, um, making fun of each other, if you will. You know, sure. it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, really, it's really intriguing because they all tell stories then of, of certain parts of their career. They talk about their lives, what's going on. And, mm -hmm. uh, for example, Robbie Savage now does a lot of, um, a lot of the soccer coverage in England on, on the TV and the radio and talks about the, the amount of abuse he gets on social media and what we need to do about social media and all, all this kind of stuff. You know, so it's, it's quite an interesting lesson. I, I often listen to it on a Monday evening, uh, but as I said, I, this is going to be the first episode. I literally, just as I pulled my phone out, I saw that it was returning. Nice. And I was like, oh, wow. I, the last one that I had listened to was, dear me, back in August. Yeah. It was, it was well, actually, no, much farther back. It was like April. It was a long okay. time ago. Okay. But, but anyway, so that's um, Flintoff Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. I, I, I highly recommend it. It's another BBC production, but it's, um, it's really, really well done. All right. I'll, th I'll throw one out for it with a Brit. This is my last one. This is my guilty pleasure, which is a podcast called Unexplained. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I grew up as a big fan of the supernatural, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I was, say, between, like, kindergarten and fourth grade or so, I think, was the sort of the wheelhouse of, like, ghosts. Like, what if that, what if that's a thing? Like, okay. all that kind of stuff. So uh, I still have a sort of a soft spot for the creepy stories and things yeah. like that. And uh, Unexplained is done by this guy, Richard McLean Smith, who's from, from England, and uh, delves into a lot of really interesting stories about sort of supernatural or unexplained things. The most recent uh, couple episodes were about uh, a, a discovery that people made on Oak Island off of the coast of Nova Scotia, this tiny little island. There was um, a plaque in the ground that was mar a stone that was marked with something took the stone off, they started digging, and they find, like, 20 feet down, they find a layer of timber. And then they break through that, and then 20 feet down, they find another layer of timber. And eventually it's like... And so it's just this story of... This, and this is in 1795. This mm. starts, people start trying to figure out what this is. They think it's the lost tra treasure of Captain Kidd, this this pirate. There's, like, various levels of evidence that come along. Okay. But then as it goes through it, you find out that there's actually traps set up so that oh. once they get down to about 90 feet, it floods with water, and oh, then wow. they can't get the water out. And then people start dying in the, que in the, in the search for it. So... Uh, it's 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 it, the funny thing about the podcast though is that it's it's the material I really enjoy. Richard McLean Smith is like the sleepiest guy ever, and he has sort of like this gentle, creepy music that's behind everything, and he talks very straightforwardly, sort of like this. And so even when it's interesting things, I tend to find myself sort of zoning out on it a little bit, but I still really enjoy it. In spite of sometimes I'm like the delivery is. Like, if you were a little more dynamic, uh -huh. it'd be great. But I also appreciate it because since it's creepy supernatural stuff, he undersells it a little bit. Okay. Like, if it were told in a very dramatic kind of way, like, mm -hmm. it might be too much. So instead, it's, when they came to the hole. I know, I sound like <laughs> Nigel Tufnell or something like that. But, like, you know, it, it's, it's, you know it's, it's stuff like that. And he's told very matter-of-factly. There's one part in this most recent one where... You know, this is this land has passed through multiple hands, and now it's somebody is investigating it. Mm. And this one guy who's like that he's staying there wakes up and he smells this weird like rotten egg smell. And so he goes out to the hole they've been excavating. That's you know has, and he's standing over it, and somebody else is watching him, and he just seizes up and falls into the hole and dies. Like he, because he goes unconscious and he drowns. The other guy runs up to try to save him, and he smells this. These fumes or whatever are like it, it knocks that guy out. He falls in and dies. And eventually, oh, wow. like three people die in a row before they can get somebody who can actually rescue all the people out of the hole. So, yeah, very dramatic. 
I like wow. a good I like a good creepy story. So. That that sounds intriguing. I may very well yeah. give that a give that a listen. What so what happened to all the like what what was the end result? Well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Okay, okay. We, we can talk about it off the air. Yeah, let's talk about it off the air. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. Speaking of horror stories, uh, let's talk about the Portland Timbers game. I mean, it wasn't a horror story. The end of it was very nerve-wracking. <laughs> yes, it was very it was. suspenseful. Yes, it was. Um, so, uh, now I had to miss this game uh, because of a conflict I was going to a friend's wedding. Uh, so so I missed out on it, but I have. I am fresh off of just watching it this morning. Mm. So, let's um, have your your initial impressions or your your seasoned impressions now that you've had some time to sit with the game. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, a win is a win, but I think... Again, it, it just highlights what has been Minnesota United since they've come into Major League Soccer and particularly since the start of this season. Wonderful going forward. We, we've never really had an issue with scoring a huge amount of goals. And now we have this little chap called Darwin Quintero who just seems to be able to pick a pass out whenever he wants to. Yeah, I wanted to point out that you referred to him as a cheeky little Minnesota minx at one point, <laughs> which caught my ear. Well, I, no, I, I, I noticed some people <laughs> said a few things elsewhere as well, but no, I, I mean, <laughs> he was. I mean, that little delicate chip over the poor old Steve Clark, who <laughs> I mean, was very nearly victim number three of a Darwin chip. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of times. He had a couple of several, shots. Yeah. yeah. He's going to get another one at yeah, some stage. Sure. He will. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was true. I mean, to, to even have the audacity to, to even think of that, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's fabulous. He really is. We're so fortunate to have someone like Quintero on this team. Uh, I thought the performance before he had to go off injured of, of Romario Ibarra was exactly what you want of a forward in that role. The reason, and, and I say in that role because, he, you know, he's not, he's not there to hold the ball up like Angelo Rodriguez is. He's not there to to be a predator in the box like Ramirez was. He's not there to, uh, well, he is there to press like Dunlady, but he. It's almost like I feel like some of his results are almost what you hope for Dunlady. Oh uh, yeah, like yep, you could certainly running, see that running in behind those like those those attacking runs using his speed. So, absolutely, and that's sort of getting to my point is that Romario Ibarra is gifted with a lot of pace. And yes, he was pressing beyond belief, which is good. That's exactly what Adrian wants. But also the one thing which he did tremendously is he stretched the Timbers' back line. If you think of particularly the second goal, if you go back and watch it, you'll see just before Quintero plays it through, Romario for the last 60 seconds or so was well out wide. And then he was tucking back in. He was really, really making... Uh, Ridgewell uh, and Cascante watched where he was going mm-hmm. and then to the point where he was operating over on a wide position and uh, forced Villafania to, to perhaps tuck in a little, you know, and he was really causing a problem for the Timbers' back line. So much so that they were slightly disoriented um, positionally. Thus, we have the goal right. that, that was slipped through what was a fairly sizable gap, actually. Mm-hmm. The pass was executed wonderfully, but and only certain players like Quintero can see that kind of pass, but... You know, if you go back and look at it, you'll see that Romario Ibarra is is in between the left back and the centre half, and there's quite a sizable gap there because of his previous movement. So, yeah, yeah. it's um, I, I thought it was a good performance attacking wise, um, defensively. Again, look, we know there's there's frustrations, there's issues that there has been since Minnesota have come into Major League Soccer. I thought, 
you know, the, the first goal for the Timbers, that's one of those goals where you just have to put your hands up and say that's an absolutely outrageous yeah. goal. Yeah, it found its way through a whole host of All players. sorts if, of if people. If it had just gotten slightly deflected by Exactly. Anybody, so. I, we're taking nothing away from the from the strike from, from Alvis Powell. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, we have to get to a situation where we don't, we don't make this as nervy as, as we, we seem to do almost on, on every occasion. We, we've seen it so many times this year, haven't we? Yeah. It, it's almost, and I know they don't, but it is almost like it's a psychological thing and, and Minnesota take their foot off the pedal slightly because they think the game's won. And, and Adrian Heath spoke about it at half time as well and said, I want them to carry on with the same intensity because everyone thinks you're 3-0 up at half time. The game's done, the game's won. It's, it's not the case. That's not how this sport works and how any sport works. So, yeah. you know... Um, that, but look, there were plenty of positive signs. I, I thought it was a good result. And uh, and I think now, look, there's, there's obviously still a sizable gap. There's still a fair amount of points that Minnesota need to get to to, to get anywhere near the, the, the playoffs. But it's nice to keep the season alive. Yeah, They've got a lot of work to do moving forward. And next up, we host at New York City FC. And, and again, I just think home crowd makes such a difference to this team. And, yeah. and I, I know yeah. Adrian absolutely adores the fans here the the home crowd give us such an atmosphere at home and everyone has said it we uh, i actually went for a couple of beers with the um the portland timbers tv crew after the game mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of the first things they've said they said the environment that your fans create here at, at this stadium and i say that with all due respect to ccf bank stadium because it's not a soccer stadium but right. The atmosphere that they produce is is second to none and i can't wait until we get into allianz fields yeah and our, our own stadium, our own backyard, that atmosphere is going to be one of the best in the league. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I was going to make the requisite mention of Allianz Field and that how much that's going to go, that, that intensity level is going to go up, given yeah. how good it has been at TCF. Um, when I was watching the game, I felt like... Um, I was shocked at how many opportunities uh, Minnesota United had early on, uh, you know, that just in the sense of, so, okay, so my experience with the game was I looked at my phone mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at this wedding and I saw we were up 3-0 and I was like, oh, I guess you guys don't need me. Like, I should just miss uh, Yes, yeah, so you, you right? should probably, yeah, not, yeah. not come to the next yeah, game. Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, and I thought, oh, well, maybe they gritted out, you know, maybe there's an own goal. Like, not to downplay, like, the attacking ability, but, you know, like, you know, three goals. But I was watching that game, and I was like, it could have been five or six. Like, yes, there was a yes. lot of – I'll be interested to see what the expected goals outcome is once I sort of delve into looking at the stats mm-hmm. on it because, you know, you often see, like, one team has more expected goals but the other team wins or something like that. I, I mean, that first half – I felt like there was at least twice as many opportunities they had that came really, mm-hmm. really close. And you could really see the difference, again, just to mention Darwin, that, you know, I feel like when you start watching a game, um, any Minnesota United game, when you see Darwin getting the ball and turning and having time to dribble, you're like, they're in trouble. Like, yep. the other, like when he doesn't have that, it, you're like, this is going to be a rough outing for, yep. for the Loons. But if you see that, and that's what you saw time and again in that first half. Like, he had time to survey mm-hmm. and time to attack. Also, Fernando Bob, I got to say, that that element of it, of of the game, and again, I'm, it's only been a couple games for him. We don't know what the long-term mm-hmm. story is with him. But we talked about him as a number six in terms of defensively, what he could bring, which I think he's, he's done a great job of. But offensively, 
his ability to play the, those balls over the midfield and give mm-hmm. Darwin that time, yep. like rather than playing the ball through the midfield and giving defenders time to say, where's Darwin? What are we, you know, like he's sort of springing stuff on them. And that pass, that pass to Darwin that led to that first goal was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, and absolutely. I'm glad you brought up Fernando Bob, Steve, because I really want to talk about him. And I thought, look, I, for, for me, the red card is soft. It, it it really is. I right. I, I I can see in the letter of the law why the referee has done it, but I I just think it's ridiculously soft, and um, I I hope they the league review it and and they rescind it. I really do. But look, I mean, who knows these days? But um, Fernando Bob for me was excellent because his as you mentioned his reading of the game is something that Minnesota haven't had in this position since they've been in Major League Soccer. Yeah. The ball over the top for Quintero, who assisted um, Romario for the first one, and it was the same trio again for the second goal. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So let's think about the second goal from Minnesota. Think about where it came from. Remember what I said to you last week about when the ball goes over the top from Bob, the back line for whoever it is has to drop. They have yeah. to go deep. Where was Quintero when he picked the ball up and he played it through to... Romario, he was in that area, right in that that number 10 area where he had a load of space because they had to drop off. Mm -hmm. And what did we see in the second half? Straight away, as it started, they brought in Diego Chara. Yeah, I want to bring up Diego Chara because, man. (laughs) Fabulous. Straight away, they they knew that there was that humongous amount of space for Darwin Quintero to to work with. They had to bring on on someone who, who was as defensively disciplined as Chara is. I, th- I thought the lad that they had starting there, David Guzman, I-, I thought that didn't have a great game at all and, and was another reason why Chara came in. Yeah. But um, for-, for me, I-, I just love the fact that now we have someone like Fernando Bob who is the instigator of all of this. Yeah. You know, Quintero is, is the man who-, who will assist and score goals and whatnot, but it all starts usually... With Fernando Bob, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, well, I think it it starts to give um, it starts to give the team a certain identity uh, of how they how they can be successful playing, right? And that's like the move, and then it allows you then to have counter moves, like things like. You know, you got to mark all so many people that you end up with Michael Boxall firing a goal in, you know, <laughs> like things like that. Because, you know, this is what they talk about in basketball with a, a post player is you have a move, right? Like your go-to move is like a, a hook a right over your right shoulder. Mm-hmm. You it, Once people know that, they can take that away. Then you need a counter move. So you need something that looks the same or, you know, it's sort of it, – it, it, you know how the person wants to play, but they also have another way to play. And I think that when you don't have a move, when you don't have an identity, it's hard to have a counter move. You know, like, because when Minnesota just sort of seems somewhat, oh, well, you know, we need, you know, like, imagine when we just had Darwin. We didn't have Fernando Bob. We didn't, you know, like, these different things. You have Darwin, he's a threat, right? Mm-hmm. But once you take him away, it's not clear exactly what Minnesota wants to do. But if you give them this idea of when they get it back, they're going to get it to Fernando Bob. He's going to be looking for, for that outlet to Darwin. Their back line has to fall back. Their goalkeeper has to fall back because the goalkeeper can't get chipped by Darwin. You know? <laughs> so, like, everybody has to play a little bit back. You get, you know, um, Angelo hopefully working on that holdup. You know, maybe it's to Darwin, to Angelo. Angelo holds it up. Other people are running in. Yep. Uh, maybe it's Romario Ibarra. If he's attacking, you know, he, he's scooting in uh, behind the defense, like you're saying, like sort of pulling him and yep. pulling that defense apart. I think it goes a long way toward the team just having an idea of what they want to do, and then they can do that, and if that's stymied, then they start doing other things. 
Um, I just think that's I think that's tremendously valuable for the team overall. Yep. Let's talk about Diego Chara because again, holy midfielder appreciation society. <laughs> I mean, when you watched him, it was clear that the, basically Savarese must have just been like, go out there and don't leave Darwin because anytime you saw Darwin, yeah. like Diego Chara was right there on him. Yes, absolutely. Chara, look, we we know exactly what type of a player he is, and and as I mentioned previously, there's a reason why he came into the game. I thought Quintero still did well to find pockets, though. Yeah, you know, but um, it, it was obvious, as you say why Chara was was coming onto the field. So, look, I mean, I'm a big fan of his. He was one of the first ever DPs to be brought in by the Timbers in their expansion year and watched him through the years. And he was very good in Colombia. Uh, the head coach of the Timbers at the time, John Spencer, did a tremendous job in bringing in Diego Chara. Um, and look, he's, he's been there for a long time and I don't see him leaving anytime soon. You know, yeah. he's 32 years of age now. I could see him being at the Timbers till he's 34, 35. I really could. And, yeah. you know, if he wants to, obviously, things change in football. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of his. I really like him. He's got a, a ton of energy. Reading of the game is really good. His passing range decent as well. So I like Diego Chara a lot. And, and it, it was good to see him. I was a bit disappointed when I saw both he and Valeri were, were on the bench. Right. And then they, games. So yeah. Well, no, which, which is understandable. <laughs> you, you know why they did it. But... Um, I was I was a little bit disappointed because I was like oh, I want to see these guys for yeah. <laughs> for ninety minutes you know but ultimately yeah. look uh, no Valeri and and no Chara starting was ultimately good for Minnesota United yeah definitely uh, yeah there's some crazy stat out there about Chara that the the, the Timbers are something like on winless in, in the last twenty two games he hasn't started wow which is crazy like it's basically like if you start Diego Chara like you got a shot if you don't Apparently you don't. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, just a hugely important player. Uh, I want to talk about Angelo a little bit because he, he came in for Romario mm-hmm. um, partway through. He's coming in for a little bit of criticism because of being a, a striker and 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 not having the kind of goal production that other people have expected. We've talked about this and the yep. fact that we don't necessarily expect him to be a double-digit goal scorer. I think he showed a lot of um, – I mean, he was winning free kicks and corner kicks. He was doing a lot of that sort of – that grunt work. Mm-hmm. But – I mean, I will concede that he hasn't really shown that nose for the goal yet in terms of, like, that killer instinct of finishing off that strike. Yeah. Do we, Are we concerned about that at all before the end of this season? Or I, I think my impulse is to feel like let's not get too worried about that until next season. But sure. I don't know. What, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I would sort of agree, to be honest, Steve. I, I think we should let someone like him settle in. This is a brand new situation for him as well. And, and look, I know you could say the same about someone like Romario Ibarra and whatnot, but I think, as, as we've previously said, he is he's he's a target centre-forward. He's, he's someone who is, his main role is to get other people involved in the game. I know some people might scratch their heads and say, you know, a, a centre-forward's main role is to score goals. Not, not necessarily, you know, and I just don't think that um, Rodriguez is this type of centre-forward who will go and score 20 goals a year. I'm happy to be wrong. If he goes and scores 20, brilliant. But I just think, again, one of the main reasons that he was brought in was to benefit Darwin Quintero. Mm -hmm. So, you know, look, I mean, it's not been a glittering start for Rodriguez. Sure. But I don't think it's been woeful. I don't think it's been terrible. Yeah. So, as you previously pointed out, there were several times during the game against the Timbers where he, he would win free kicks, he would hold the ball up well. Um, th- there were several positives from his performance, in my opinion. And if, if, I'm, if I'm Angelo Rodriguez, all I'm thinking to myself now is with, what have we got, five games remaining? I would want to try and just finish the season as positively as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that means scoring a couple of goals, whether that means just 
playing well yeah. and, and getting used to playing with Quintero and whatnot because we know this this is this is a forward line for next season as well. Let's not forget that, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, it sounds like we're making excuses here, but honestly, I, I'm not worried about Rodriguez, to be honest. I, I that There are far more pressing issues yeah. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> than I would Minnesota agree. United. Yeah. Uh, last note on the, the Timbers, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Bobby Shuttleworth for that save in the 89. Oh, my word, yeah. Because that was one of those pure reaction things yep. that, that saves the game. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. It's like... <laughs> Lost count the amount of times. I think I said it on the commentary as well that we've we've said, you know, something like great save from Shuttleworth or having another stellar day or something along those lines. You yeah. know, he it, it's hard to believe he's only got two shutouts all season. Yeah. You know, he's um he's a really good goalkeeper, a fabulous shot stopper. I think even he will admit the last couple of games haven't been his finest, mm-hmm. but I think he, he rolls to the occasion against the Timbers, no doubt about it, because there's, there's very little he can do about either of the goals that were scored. Yeah. So, I, look, I'm a big fan of Bobby Shuttleworth yep. as, as a goalkeeper and as a human being as well. He's, yeah. um, he's a character. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him being, being Minnesota's goalkeeper for, in my opinion, he can be the goalkeeper here for the next five, six years if he wants to. Yeah. He, um, the, the, I was really concerned. I mean, I was thinking watching that, that if that goes in, I feel like that's the setup for sort of the Seattle situation. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. had where you lose in stoppage time by a goal, you know. And so that is a huge momentum, you know, stopper, Yeah, I guess. Yep. Stopper. I'm just going to keep using that yeah. <laughs> it, it, You know, like, I think that, it, that the Timbers definitely had some momentum at that time. It didn't completely dissipate it, but it... It did stop the most immediate threat right there that mm-hmm. could have that could have like seen it go all the way in the other direction. So yeah, because so that was, that was that, that was the chance that they were looking for. That yeah. that was and that's what I thought when Shuttleworth made the save. I thought, what was that? It was that the moment yeah. where they had to score and they haven't. Yeah, you know. And then fortunately, Minnesota defended diligently and and just about got the job done. So yeah. there we go. We'll yeah. take it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, NYCFC coming up. Um, they're obviously in a good position in the, the Eastern Conference. I believe they're third right now. But they have struggled. Um, I believe they've taken seven points in the last nine games. A lot of draws recently. Mm. Um, you know, they're playing the 4-4-2 with the Diamond, which is sort of an interesting formation, uh, especially for a team that has a lot of wingers, uh, somewhat <laughs> somewhat like us. Um, what's your take on NYCFC right now, their ambitions? Uh, what do you see for them? Well, before we sort of delve into New York City FC, just just the city football group, their ownership group as a whole are a tremendous organisation. They are one to really keep an eye on. Obviously now they've got football clubs in, in Manchester, New York City, uh, Yokohama in Japan and uh, Melbourne in Australia as well. I think there's one more somewhere else as well. Are they all powder blue, the one that the other ones do? Or is that... uh, I think Melbourne City have a powder blue strip, okay. I think, like that they wear white and then they have... Their the, the jersey might have changed. The, okay. a, the, the A-League starts in um, in a couple of weeks, okay. so maybe, okay. maybe it, it's changed. But I anyway, so New York City FC, I think right now that they are very much undergoing a transitional period where Dominic Torren has come in sure. from Manchester City. They were spoilt with Vieira. They really were. Vieira yeah. is a tremendous young coach, and I'm really looking forward over the next couple of years to see where he moves next. I know he'll he'll have a, a good time at Nice. I think mm-hmm. he'll do well there. He's bought well in the off-season as well in the summer. But I'm interested to see how well he does there and where he goes next because for, for so, so, so long, and it will continue for years and years and years, he was linked with the Arsenal manager's job just yep. because of his legacy that he sure. had there. Yeah. And and it wouldn't surprise me, Steve, if one day he went there and, and, and sort of completed 
um, you know, sort of went full circle, if you will, I guess. But I think um, Torren practically said, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe even three, that MLS was not what he expected. Mm. Now, there are many ways you could you could interpret what <laughs> right, it means. There's a lot there. of open-endedness there. Yeah, but I wonder, is he one of these managers? And there have been a couple over the last 22, 23 years in this league where they've come from overseas and thought, it's America. It's it's Major League Soccer. I'll be I'll be okay. I'll be fine. I'm 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 a good coach. I've coached wherever, yeah. you know. And then they get here, and they realise the harsh realities of Major League Soccer, and realise that it's actually a good league. Yeah. And you can't get away with. I, I saw. I can't remember who it was. He he signed a a, a thirty six seven year old chap from Spain who he'd played with or, or managed rather um, in uh, Girona. And um, I just thought to myself, you you you're bringing in the wrong players here, mate. Mm. You know, you you perhaps need to to have a little word with your scouting department and, and see what they've mustered up. You know, perhaps even piggyback off what a Vieira has has seen over the last couple of years. You know, bringing in the likes of uh, Morales, I, I think has has been mm. tremendous for New York City FC. And yeah. I wonder again, is there is there well, there is, but is there too much pressure on the shoulders of David Villa again? And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously he he is the man. Right. Uh, regardless of age, he's still brilliant. <coughs> I wonder if Torren has thought to himself, I'll, I'll be okay because David Villa will get us out, out of the, the bad situation. And he has on several occasions. Yeah. But he's now at an age where I think you've, you've got to watch his minutes moving yeah. forward. And, you know, uh, but having said that, look, I, I'm really excited to see David Veer actually yeah. um, in Minnesota. It's, it's going to be fabulous. Yeah, this is their first trip here, right? We, yes, we, yes. We went, to we went there last, last year. year. Okay, so. And, you know, I've, I've watched David Veer for years, Steve, and, and when he was at Barcelona, he, he was, at times he was unplayable with, with Messi, and then at the time it was... Um, Sanchez as well, uh, and there were loads of other players that he played up there with. But, it, I mean, just so many goals, so yeah. many goals, and obviously lost out of the Champions League final for Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago and, and then joined the, the City Football Group. And, you know, I, I'm i so glad that a player like him has come to MLS. And and, and I say that because he's a player who, who, who still has so much drive, he still wants to win. Right. So uh, I'm excited to see him. He's the all-time leading goal scorer for Spain. That's not an easy task. That, that, that's <laughs> yeah. not an easy thing to, to, to gather. Company, so, so Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm excited to see him. I think New York City FC, although they're comfortably uh, operating and at the moment third in the Eastern Conference, they play Chicago on Wednesday, which will be an intriguing game. But again, and that's that's... That's going to be interesting as well. I wonder, can Minnesota take advantage of that again? The fact that yeah. the, the team coming in plays another midweek game, you yeah. know, and then they have to travel. And I don't know. I don't know. But it's look, it's going to be an intriguing game. New York City FC, as I said, they are comfortable, but everyone needs to claim as many points as they can now. Yeah. And I just wonder as well, if results go our way over the weekend, I know it's a long shot, but if results <laughs> go our way and Minnesota claim three points over New York City, all of a sudden, I bet you... I bet you some of those teams ahead of Minnesota, the Vancouver, Seattle, LA Galaxies, will just be looking over their shoulder a little more seriously. Yeah. 
Well, Seattle dropping 3-0 to LA Galaxy. Yeah, and the Galaxy look good, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, um, one thing one thing to note on NYCFC, uh, a consequence of this past game, is we're going to miss out on Maximiano and Fernando Bob. Uh, I mean, depending on any appeals yeah, or anything yeah. like that. But, um, I mean, we're certainly going to miss out on uh, Maxi, right? Like, yes, yes, he's a so, yellow card, yep. It's tough to see that just as I feel like, yeah, I'm like, I'm sort of, oh, hey, we had this like this midfield, this holy midfield pairing. Yeah. A little little tough to, to not get that in the next game. Yeah, it's, it, it will be tough, Steve. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, look, the good thing is is that we... we we have a couple of options, don't we, to come back in. I mean, Colin Warner is more than serviceable in this league. He's, oh, yeah. You know, played its, what was it? it well, it's, it's well over 200 games now in Major League Soccer, and he's done that for a reason. So, yeah. you know, um, I think I said on this podcast before that the, the guys up in Toronto absolutely loved him, mm-hmm. you know. So um, they loved him playing alongside Michael Bradley. So, um, you know, I, I do wonder, I do wonder what Adrian's going to go with. What Warner would be an obvious one for me. Does he bring Shula back into the centre of the park and, you know, go with another wide player out there? Um, I don't know. But yeah. the good thing is, is now we, we have a decent amount of depth, which we, yeah. we, we haven't always been able to say that this season. True, true. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But look, no, no doubt that Maximiano and Fernando Bob have, have been really good so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do moving forward. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for the 29th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next match is on Saturday, September 29th against NYCFC. That match kicks off at 7 p.m. Central Time. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a four-star... Sorry, a five-star. Wow. I'm devaluing us already, Steve. My word. I don't know. Four stars... (laughs) Is that that fair? Four star used to be good. That was like a hotel. A four star hotel was a good. Now they had an extra. everything's five star now. Okay, leave us is, at least is that fair. Leave, leave us a six <laughs> a six star rating uh, <laughs> on iTunes and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal Williams at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>